morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And you listening online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, please open to the Gospel according to Mark chapter 9. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 9, we will take verses 30 through 37. Would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? Beginning at verse 30. Then he departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise a third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you were discussing among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed amongst themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all the servant of all. Pardon me. He shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child And set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Please be seated. Educated by fact. That is the title of this morning's consideration. And it starts off with the prophetic word. That's when he begins to teach them. And the prophetic word of God is, of course, fact. And there's nothing we can do to alter it. We either join ourselves to God's word or we side against it. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken. It's a fact. Whatever prophecies God has laid forward, they're going to happen. The Lord is educating his disciples as they're leaving the mountain area where the transfiguration took place. And then, of course, there was that child that was hounded by a demon at the base of the mountain. And, of course, he uh, dispatched that demon. And now they're on their way to Capernaum. And he is teaching them the reality of Scripture, however, seems to be too much for them. The fact of God's prophecy is something that they're not ready for. Uh, Not on this subject, not at all. And in this section, he's teaching the prophetic outline because he's fulfilling it. He's telling them that the Messiah is to be killed. They didn't see it that way. They didn't see that in the teachings of the Scripture. Because they had so fallen under the popular views of rabbinical teachings that left that part out. The apostles had envisioned a Messiah that would be victorious, conquering the enemies, setting up his kingdom. And they were going to be part of that kingdom. And that's why they were arguing on the road, which one was going to have the highest rank when the kingdom is finally set up. Not until the Lord was risen... Were they able to receive and be educated by the fact of Scripture that he was trying to impart to them on this day as he's heading towards Capernaum 
towards Jerusalem. That is his goal. And we have today the Holy Spirit to help us with unpleasant facts that come from Scripture. There are things that, that they didn't like that he said, but they had to face them. And there are things that we read in the Bible that we may not care for either. But we must keep an open mind and an open heart and surrender to the facts. Be educated by them and not close-minded to them. And that's what we're looking at today. And now looking at verse 30. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. Well, that departure is the beginning of the end of his public ministry. Now he's focusing on the cross. Yes, he will still minister in public. He will still heal. But that's not where the emphasis is now. The emphasis is getting to Jerusalem and preparing the disciples as much as he can for what's coming. And they're not going to be prepared. Not until he is risen from the grave. Then it will all come back. Not at one time necessarily, but it will by the time they begin ministering and teaching the church. It says here in verse 30, And he did not want anyone to know. He wanted to be unnoticed because he wanted to concentrate his efforts on his apostles. And the interference that the people would bring to his teachings is something he uh, was not going to have happen if he could avoid it. As I mentioned, his public ministry was now winding down. And now it was going to be about uh, the suffering of Christ. And so he wants to spend time with them and instruct them and prepare them for what lay ahead. And his determination to reach uh, the cross uh, is central to his teachings to them. Uh, we can look at this, we look back at this, and we get it because we understand the cross. We even have, you know, Resurrection Sunday. We understand the much better now than they did at the time these events were, were taking place. Because we read this and we say, how could they miss this? He tells them right out. What is happening? How dense are they? Well, they're as dense as the popular teaching would make them. It's just very difficult to break out of a mindset unless you, you're committed to opening up. And they were not. They didn't know how. These were not scholars. These men were used to throwing nets in the water and hauling in fish. Uh, they were not uh, used to thinking through philosophies. It takes a while for the brain to, to learn how to chew through Scripture and how it applies to life. I think... Uh, pastors who teach the word, they spend a lot of time just getting their head around what's going on, uh, how to make it effective to the congregation and not just a, a bunch of, you know, bakery goods handed out that really don't have anything to do with anything. How does the pastor look at the word and say, this is God's word to man? And there's an application in every bit of it. If I could receive it, if I could find it. And again, that takes years. In the early years, you, you, you repeat the men who have figured it out. But in the latter years, now you're repeating yourself uh, what has gone through your head in your preparation time before the Lord. So pastors today, uh, how are they preparing the flock? Here we see the Lord preparing his apostles. How do we take this lesson and prepare the flock and prepare them for what? What do you need to be prepared for? You can put your finger on some things, but not all of them. I can't either. We need God to do that. God has to point out 
This is where you, you aim your guns. This is where you turn your attention. This is where the piece of wood that needs to be planed or sanded and prepared for whatever use that he has for it. And so we do seek to strengthen the saved first. Before reaching the lost, let's get the, the saved right. Or else what are we reaching the lost with? What are we preaching to them? If we ourselves don't know what we believe, how can we, you know, the blind lead the blind, you have a big problem. Someone's going to get hurt. Strong sheep beget strong sheep. That's the idea. It is a fundamental of creation. To know God's word. That's how we make ourselves stronger in Christ. But not in isolation. Not saying no church is good enough for me to go to. That won't work. A lot do it. To know God's word and to carry it out. To help us face the facts we do that when we get with each other. As, as much as we may disturb each other from time to time, there's a lot of work that gets done by being in the body that otherwise cannot get done. That's why Satan tries to shut churches down. And we're seeing this in a time we live in more than ever. I'll come to that in a moment a little bit. And so to equip the flock for what? To be stronger Christians, yes. But to preach the gospel with authority. Not with, you know, I think it means, but this is what it means. This is salvation. This is who Jesus Christ is. Or, many times, that is not Jesus Christ. I don't know where you pick that up, but that's not scriptural. And to associate that with Christ is wrong. Call them out on these things. So when Paul wrote, writes to the Ephesians from jail, suffering for Christ. You know, that's becoming more real for us, this suffering for Christ in the age we live in. Well, Paul, it was just a matter of life. That's all he knew. Very rarely do we find Paul not under some sort of pressure. He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. This is the care these men put into the church, the assembly I'm talking about also. It's included. Because many come along and try to, to, to amputate themselves from the body. With a smirk, no less. And so the pastor is to look to apply the Bible's teachings to current events. Whether it is wartime, or peacetime, or persecution time. Which is, again, ramping up in this country. How much of it will we face? How far will it be allowed to go? Well, we'll find out. But Satan will find this out, that we're ready. It's not one-sided. It's not like they get to do all this harm to us and we get nothing to do back in return. We do. We get to preach. We get to stand up in our faith. We get to show that excellent witness as Christ did before Pilate, as Paul did before Caesar. Or you can sit around and wring your fingers and what the, wonder what the loonies are going to do next. I don't care what the loonies are going to do next. I care what I'm going to do next. Am I going to be able to stand in the face of persecution? Should it come my way? I'm more concerned with that than what they're going to do. And so, forever reminding believers to be believers, to be Christ-like, to bring the message of salvation that nobody else has. Nobody else can deliver this. That's us. We are the deliverers of the message. We are the angels of today, not the ones with the wings and the, and the white garments. Although we might have white garments, they're not as bright as theirs. Well, 
The world does not like this. They don't approve of it. Well, we're not asking for their approval. We're not trying to be abrasive. The message itself will do that if, if that's how they want it. But to teach what our faith is to teach, the world forbids. At some point, in the end, when the persecutions come to the church, it's because the world forbids the church from being a church. They're angry towards us for not celebrating sin, for daring to oppose them. This was the story of Cain and Abel all the way back. When they assembled before God, Cain was angry with Abel because Abel was righteous and Cain was not. This has been played out through history. The world is angry at us for having the audacity to call their madness crazy. I mean, the things they do is, is, is so ridiculous, you have to say they have subjected themselves to hell because nobody is born that stupid. I mean, we're seeing this with the gender reclassification, all the kooky names they come up with it, and, and you know, the arrogant looks and how they look down at everybody else for not agreeing that your little boy should be a girl or your girl should be a boy. It is crazy, and we call it madness because that's what it is. And we're hated for it. Well, we can't really help you with that. If you insist on hating me, guess what? I'll be hated. But not without giving you a dose of the truth. Because that's what you lack. And so to keep believers focused on the mission, he himself has, has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, for the work of ministry, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. The edification means, you know, we, had the, we live in the, the days where everybody's, I'll use a word we don't use much, everybody wants to go down to the gymnasium to be in shape. All right, nothing wrong with that. Well, we want to be in shape when it comes to God's word. We want to be robust in the things we preach and not caught up in arguments over pointless points of doctrine. Not the serious points. Those we, we need to have, have right. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said, And you will be hated for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. I'm not ready to disagree with Christ on that. Because I've enjoyed most of my Christian life not being hated to my face for my Christianity doesn't mean that at some point it will not come or will come. Acts chapter 21. Then Paul answered. Now this... This, let me set this up a little bit. This is the Apostle Paul. He, too, is going to Jerusalem long after the resurrection of Christ and the ascension. And he has been told prophetically that imprisonment and persecution await him. And so he tells the uh, Ephesian elders, he tells the people of the various little towns he stopped off at on the way to Jerusalem that I'm going to Jerusalem. I know I hear the prophecies. I don't disagree with them. I just don't care. And so and then Paul answered, because they, they fell on his neck. They're crying. They're weeping. Paul, we don't want to lose you. We love you. And he says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. These men are always teaching us by just what they do. And we're watching them. We're attracted. We're drawn to this. One of the marks of being a Christian is that we're drawn to what the Bible says. 
And that's what Christ is trying to get his disciples to understand. I'm trying to tell you, he says to them, that this is prophetic, that the Messiah will be killed. It's in Isaiah 53, for example. And, well, now on the way to the cross. And he wanted to avoid the now miracle-hungry crowds because they were a distraction from what was now most important. And he was not a dead man walking. He was a man that is that you, a risen man walking, you could say. I mean, surely he was going to die. And just as surely he was going to rise again. A risen man walking. That's who Christ is at this point in his ministry. John goes into more detail in his gospel about the emotional side that Christ uh, uh, dealt with in his own heart. You know, how he wishes that this was done. He had this passion that he had to get this fight on. Uh, reminiscent of David uh, running towards, desire, let, uh, towards Goliath. Let's get this fight on. Let's get this settled. And that's what David did. And that's what Jesus did. In verse 31 now of Mark chapter 9. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. I mean, he, this is, he's, he's, he's facing this as much of, as, as the Lord he is. And though he's initially... Not succeeding, as I mentioned, he will later. They'll put it together after Pentecost. It will all come into to, to light. That's why we have the record. Only they could have told what took place on this road. That he was trying to teach them, that they didn't get it, that they were sorrowful, that they were afraid, but they didn't want to ask and push the point, that their minds were closed. They'll tell us that later by publishing the gospel accounts. But as the events are unfolding, they're completely in the dark. And it is a great encouragement to us to understand that these men didn't get it. And Christ kept moving forward nonetheless with his plan. And then, as I uh, get it, said, they get it later. That's encouraging to me. I may not understand certain things about Scripture, which is life, which has to do with life. We don't study Scripture just because it's entertaining or we enjoy it. We study it because it's God's Word, and it is life. And it prepares us to face life. It educates us to face facts. To the glory of the Father. And to the benefit of those around us. And so the future of God's program. Through the church. For the next 2,000 years. Will depend on these men. And you're looking and you say. Who planned this? Who planned to entrust the church with these guys? God did. A perfect, infallible, loving, gracious God. That's who entrusted these men for the next 2,000 years with the church because the church moves based off what these men wrote. If it weren't for the apostles, we would not be paying attention to the Old Testament. And that's just, you know, the, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles first, the ministry of the New Testament and it encompasses, incorporates the Old Testament. All of it, God's word. But the Old Testament is not understandable in Christ without the new 
Otherwise, all the Jews would be saved, would they not? They'd be following Christ. But they need the New Testament revelation. God has arranged this. A lot of Christians don't want to hear this. They think somehow it um, you know, lessens the Old Testament. It doesn't lessen anything. There's no weakening of the Old Testament scripture. It just it must go with the New Testament scripture. God has said himself when he walked the earth, I've not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And if you want to know what it means to fulfill the Old Testament prophets, you've got to know about Christ. And to know about Christ is not enough to have the gospels. You have to have the precepts too. And that's not enough, said God. I'm going to reveal to my servant John things that must soon take place. And so, it was far more important for him to prepare his men uh, for what was coming than to uh, heal any more sick people, though he, he still did. He continues here in verse 31. I'm going to pause here. So I hope, I hope I'm, I sound like I believe what I'm saying. Because there are many that come to church and they just, they hear a mouth talking and they, they see a head and a body, but they're not getting it. They're not understanding the day will come when they will stand in front of God Almighty and have to give an account. And there will be no excuses. He already has the answers for them. So the best thing to do is pay attention to what God is saying in the Word. You say, well, you sound so angry. I'm not angry. I'm passionate. If I'm angry at anything, it is sin, my sin. But I am very passionate about God's Word. And Satan, as he's done with many of you, has spent a lot of time trying to get you to not be passionate about God's Word, to be frustrated with the Lord, to be disappointed with what He allows and disallows. But the righteous... Keep moving forward, because they know in whom they have believed, which is the whole story of Job, the story of Joseph, the story of Jeremiah, the story of Jesus Christ, the story of Paul the Apostle, and countless Christians down through the ages. This is real stuff here, and if you want to wait until you're dead to find out, it'd be too late to benefit from it. So you can learn now, and throw yourself into what God is saying at his pace. Verse 31 for he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. They, they, it hit them, you know, he's going to be killed. And they didn't care for it. And so when he says the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of men, it's prophetic. That is prophecy. The Son of Man is being portrayed into the hands of men. It's solemn prophecy. And he speaks in the present tense. Was Judas already in dialogue with the Pharisees? The enemy is mobilized against him for sure. Did he know that, uh, or perhaps just in the head of Judas, Judas, he was already planning. Maybe Judas was singed because he did not get to go up to the mountain with Peter and James and John, but was left in the valley and further frustrated by the fact that he could not cast out the demon. Uh, whether that's true or not is really not important. The important thing is, the Lord is saying, the Son of Man is being betrayed. And uh, the whole talk of death and dying to Judas would have meant no position in the Messiah's kingdom. 
That would have been a great big disconnect for him. For the others too, but the others would not have betrayed him. They loved him. uh, Judas betrayed him because he didn't love him. He followed him. He liked what was going on. In the early phases, he was certainly attracted and useful to the Lord. But then he hardened his heart until finally Satan filled his heart. And they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. That's direct enough, the victory of the cross. The only hope for mankind. There's a song, we don't hear it much. You probably have to watch Lilies of the Field to get it. I'm sure it's on the internet. You know, the, the Amen song. Led before Pilate, then they crucified him, but he rose on Sunday. Now, the song says Easter, but I prefer Sunday. It's more biblical. Uh, anyway, uh, this they didn't get. that When he was led before Pilate and then he crucified, of course, uh, they fell out of step with that. This is the third time Mark records him bringing up this subject. You would think by now they would say, okay, Lord, this is the third time you've brought it up. I didn't get it the first two times. I'm not getting it this time. Why didn't the Lord say, well, let me explain it to you this way? Well, he, he may have. All we have is commentary that he taught them these things. There are many details that he spoke to them that we don't have in print, but they took place. But it was so unpalatable for them. It was so, uh, it, it brought sorrow. They didn't want to hear it. Matthew 17, verse 23, covering the same story. And they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Matthew adds that. Uh, But it's not enough. It's not enough that they were sorry about what they were hearing. They had a chance to follow up on it, and they did not. Why? We're going to read in a moment that they were afraid to follow up on it. Because it was so distasteful. Uh, They collectively refused to consider it. Verse 32. And they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Luke adds these details in his account of this story. Jesus starts off this way with them. Let these words sink down into your ears. Luke Chapter 9, verse 43. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Then Luke adds, But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not receive, uh, perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. The outstanding points from Luke. Let these words sink down. Get this. Uh, You know, sometimes you read a scripture verse uh, that you've read many times, and all of a sudden, it comes to life. It is sinking down. You've got it. And uh, at other times, of course, it just didn't seem to mean that. Well, on this point, the Lord is saying, this is critical. I want you to get this. Well, he doesn't, they don't. Luke also says they did not understand the saying. Why? As I mentioned, the rabbis had, had... Push this popular teaching of this heroic Messiah. We've been covering this. And they were afraid to ask about this saying. Because their minds were closed and they did not want to hear. How is it that you're so dull of heart? <laughs> dull of hearing? How come you don't get this? They didn't want any or and or. They just wanted the whole topic to go away. Because a crucified Messiah 
was a stumbling block to the Jew. In those days, to preach of a Jewish Messiah crucified was just no way. It's a stumbling block. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Well, the Gentiles didn't want a king who was conquered and, and crucified. But of course, the gospel message goes beyond the crucifixion into the spiritual realm. It deals with religion and God and things unseen and things eternal. But if you can't get past the fact that he was crucified, then you go no further. And that's where they were. Psalm 22 did not register with them. Did not apply to somebody else, anybody else. But they didn't care for it. And so he's trying to educate them through the facts. And we look back at this 2,000 years later and we say, May I be very careful with the scripture that I don't read into verses popular beliefs simply because they're popular. I must ask, are they true? Is it accurate? It can be both. It can be accurate and popular. Or it can be popular and wrong. A lot of people can have an opinion about a a verse, an interpretation, and it's just not accurate based on other scriptures. And so they ruled out this death so far, so much, that they were now talking about who's going to be the greatest when he finally conquers Jerusalem. That's what's going on here. Uh, we must not allow ourselves, again, to, to be, have our minds made up when we have no reason to hold those beliefs. They had no reason to doubt what he said. If he said, I'm going to be crucified, they should, let's get to the bottom of this, considering the source. We do it with the Bible. We go to the Bible. That's the source. It says, and they were afraid to ask him, which didn't help their cause, incidentally. Uh, maybe you've been faced with things and you, you just don't want to hear it. I don't want the truth. Just tell me a lie. I hope not. We don't want to ever go that far. But they uh, were, again, in this position of opportunity, and they missed it. There are, or there is the danger of spiritualizing everything. Reading an omen into it. It happens when we really want something. And we're not discerning any leading from the Lord. And we are susceptible to reading views into things and not sticking with the facts. A lot of Christians get in trouble with this. Well, I thought I was supposed to go to Egypt. Well, why would you think that? Well, because I saw in the news that uh, Egypt had, you know, uh, nice weather. or something, And they just read into it. May we beware of that intellectual nepotism which shows undue favoritism to an idea not based on God's word. Well, verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Well, the trip from the north is over. Capernaum was his base. When he leaves here, he he will not return until after the resurrection. And, uh, you know, I, I, I cannot... In preparing this morning's message and looking at the first paragraph that we just discussed, I realized just how important it is. How important it is to pay attention to what he is saying because they're going to be rebuked because they didn't get it. If they listened to what he was saying, they wouldn't be called out on this. It's not that serious an issue, but it's it's serious enough for him to not let it pass. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it 
You disputed among yourselves on the road. Well, they were in the flesh, arguing self-importance, arguing the importance of being important. And now he's asking them, uh, what about this carnal behavior you exhibited? What's funny about this is after he gets through with them, the light's going to turn on for John. We're not going to get to it this session. Uh, John's going to say, we goofed, (laughs) because that's how thorough the teaching is. I'll cover that in a little bit. But here they were on the road, and the the burden of me first, the burden of show me attention, the burden of make me higher than the other guy. Proverbs 14.30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. You know how many people are messed up because they're envious? They're bitter because they think they did this or they should that or you shouldn't this or you shouldn't that. And they become difficult people. They become mean people. They become people you don't want to be with. Somehow they get away with it. But the scripture is clear. A sound heart is life to the body. When you know what you believe, when you're comfortable with what you believe, you have authority to exercise the things you believe. You have authority to be forgiven. You're not so guilt-ridden. You say, Lord, I tried, but I just could not. That chocolate donut was just overpowering. (laughs) Because you know he understands. And you also know that you're giving it all you've got in Christ. That he's not excited about condemning us. He's looking for every opportunity to not condemn us. That's what the cross says. I'll die for you. If if it will get the guilt off of you, I will die for you. But you've got to come and get it my way. Verse 35, And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. This must be in the courtyard of the house. I mean, it's a big enough house to call twelve men around you and uh, uh, be able to speak to them relatively in relative comfort, not squeezed, squished together. But he is concentrating on their education still. He wants them to learn. Here, it is against self-promotion in ministry. They didn't really understand ministry. Their idea of ministry was doing whatever Christ wanted them to do. Well, that should be our, our idea too. But it extends further than that. And this is what he's saying to them. I, I don't want you pushing yourself, shoving yourself to the front as you were doing on the road. These are grown men. They understood what was happening when he asked the questions. Why they didn't want to answer him. He says, if anyone desires to be first. Well, if you want to know what it's like to desire to be first, play a board game. Wrestle with somebody. Try to pass somebody on the road. <laughs> they speed up and won't let you pass. You can't be ahead of me. All right, maybe you're not as troubled by that, but I'm absolutely troubled by that. I just want to pass the person. Um, Choking back stories, exploits of how I got past that last guy I faced. Anyway, uh, the flesh. The flesh desires to be first. And uh, while you may be able to get away with it in some areas more than others, in ministry, it is a big hindrance. It is better to not be mindful of yourself uh, than to uh, become competitive. Uh, you, uh, one way to do that is to not possess. 
It's not my ministry. I have my responsibilities. I'm accountable to them. But should the time come when the Lord pulls that from me, I have to let it go. He says, he shall be last of all the... He shall be last of all and servant of all. Not the desired outcome. In trying to be first, you're going to end up being last. That's what Jesus is saying. This is not what you want. Not with me. You may be able to pull that somewhere else. You may be able to do that in someone else's kingdom. But in my kingdom, if you try to make yourself number one, if that is your objective, you're going to mess it up. Now, that does not mean we're not to give it our best. That's all. Not for the purpose of, I try to be the best pastor I can be. Not because I want to be better than the other guy, but because I want to serve the Lord with everything I have. Now, I never achieved that, but I certainly cover more ground that way than if I had a, another attitude uh, other than that one. And it's the same with you. Well, you, when you get a chance to pre- preach Christ to somebody, you're trying to be the best witness you can be. Not because it's a competition, but because that's what it takes. Uh, as much of your energy as you can muster in life. No matter what you're going through, you're never relieved from being a witness for Christ. You're never like, i got just too much going on right now. No, not at all. In fact, that's a violation. To be able to say, I've got too much going on in life right now to witness Christ is to demonstrate you're really not that hot about Christ. You're more interested in yourself. The world's philosophy is, that, is this. You are great if others are serving you. How many people do you have on your staff? How many people work for you? How many you know, checks do you sign for people? That's the world's interpretation. But greatness with the master, with our Lord, is to become a servant. And uh, it comes from serving others. Those of you who serve in the church, for example. If your motives are right, if you know you're working for Jesus Christ and not for the church, then you know what service is about. Each one of us has to think this through. It's called examining yourselves. I have to ask myself, are my motives right? Am I looking, Lord, to bring glory to you or am I looking for fame? It's, um, I'm just pleased if I can make my points on a Sunday morning. Whatever points I found that I thought were of the Lord in preparation time, I just want to make those points. And anything he gives me while I'm standing in the pulpit, I want to make those points. I find it exhausting but worthwhile. And I, but I am not looking to uh, win a popularity contest. I'm never looking to win a popularity contest. And uh, although... If I'm standing in a store on a long line and they're going to open up a new register, I want to be singled out as first. Sir, you can come over here. Yeah, baby. (laughs) You dopes missed a chance. So there are times where it's okay. (laughs) I suppose a servant of all. I mean, would the Lord say, no, no, you go first? He probably would. But I'm not. (laughs) until he looks over at me, then everything changes. Anyway, we know that those who look to serve the Lord should not shove their way into first position up the corporate ladder, stepping on heads, lying about people, withholding the truth, cheating, behaving unchristlike just because they think it would be successful. And that's what they were doing on the road. 
You could just hear Peter. Peter said, I'm going to be the Lord's chief of staff just because I'm Peter. And I'll beat you up if he gives it to you. That's right. (laughs) Not really, but... Well, I kind of like that one. James and John, Peter, would say to the other three, Well, I don't remember you being up on the mountain. We were there. You weren't. Uh, Things, little petty stuff like that. Anyway, verse 36. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them. Now, evidently, in this house, there were children, of course. It comes back in verse 42. We're not going to get that this morning. But he would again use a child to make his point, And he's still in the house. Maybe it's Peter's house. Could be Peter's kid. But what he is saying is, here's a picture of innocence. This is innocence. We thought of the child. What, what does it mean to be a little child? A little one like he is talking about. Somebody that doesn't give you a hard time back. Everybody loves babies because they don't criticize you. The baby doesn't look up at you. What are you wearing? I mean, they don't do that. They don't say anything negative. Compared to what we become later. Uh, One of the brothers here last week at the baby dedication of little Christopher. He mentioned how it just moved his heart. That innocence. See, that's the word. That innocence. That, That no knowledge of sin. Now, they get a little older. They get it. But... Not at their early ages. They're just cute and, you know, soggy-bottomed. But they are innocent. And Christ is saying, I want you to be like that. And I, and I, I have a picture of myself in first grade, this little red jacket and bow tie. And I look at that picture sometimes. And I, say, I, I, I wish I was still that boy. I wish I did not learn so many things about sin over the years that I've learned. How to retaliate. Uh, you know, just how to do nasty things to somebody if, I, if they get on my bad side or just think the wrong things. So many things are encapsulated in that one picture of innocence that is forever gone, forever in this life. And so Christ picks up the child. And he says, uh, this is what I want you to be like, a child, not scratching and clawing against each other. Whatever happened to this child that he picked up, to be taken up in the arms of Christ and be part of his sermon, whatever happened to that child? Verse 37, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Again, it's not the child. It's the lesson. And the child helps him with this lesson. It's an object lesson. The child is an ob- the object of his lesson. The child is not only innocent, but dependent. We're supposed to be dependent on Christ. Well, on that road, were they not supposed to say, look... The, the right response would have been, I don't know what my position is going to be if the Lord sets up his kingdom... That's up to him. I'm dependent on him. Whatever he wants. That would have been the ideal response. Harmless. Not belittling the other one. Well, you don't deserve that position. I deserve it. Because I'm more qualified. I've been around longer. I've been a Christian longer. I know more Bible verses than you know. Uh, They were, again, to be like this child. Dependent, innocent, and harmless. Even though if you can't get there, just trying to get there puts you ahead of the game. Now, how many of you, myself included, 
this week will reference such a verse. How many of us, when put under a little pressure in the flesh, will say, I'm supposed to be innocent and harmless and dependent on the Lord. When it's out of my control, I'm supposed to be like this little child. Not childish, childlike, not competitive, not independent to a fault, not self-centered. Little children, and they're that small, they're not self-centered. They're just doing their thing. They're not saying, this is about me, really, it is. They just eat everything and play and, and, and are just adorable. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Christ is saying, this is larger. This is much bigger than what you're looking at and hearing with me right here, right now. There's more to me, Jesus Christ, he was saying to them, than Jesus Christ. There, there is God the Son. See, they saw the incarnate Jesus. When he's saying to them, it's bigger than this. It's much bigger than this. And if you can receive it, if you can understand that, you won't bicker on the road. You won't worry about my death. You'll listen to me when I talk about my resurrection following the death. You will pay more attention when you're more in tune to my greatness than limiting yourself to what's around you. At this word, and whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, briefly, look with me at verse 38. Now, John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Well, I'm not going to go into all of that, but I'm going to say, it when Jesus said these words, it registered with John. And John said, Lord, I remember not being so innocent with someone who was not a part of our group. That's a success for Christ. He got the, the, the apostle to realize they made a mistake. Uh, and that's what will partly what we'll cover next session. And so we must allow ourselves to be educated by the facts if God is the teacher. Let's pray. Our Father, to keep that mind open but narrow, open to the things that you have said that belong to your truth, and not open to those things that bring in the devil's doubts, to be sure in the faith, that blessed assurance, to pursue that innocence, that childlike innocence, to not lose sight of its importance. You did not lose sight of it, and may we not either. If, while you've been hearing the word of God preached, you have recognized that God is speaking to you, or maybe, as you've heard, been listening to God's words spoken, you have been more in touch with your desire to be right with God, If you've not opened your heart before to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, you have an opportunity right now. If you say uh, this prayer, uh, for example, this pattern, then God will receive it. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I have sinned against you. And I come to you and I ask you to forgive me because I believe that you were crucified for the sinner. And I believe that you rose again. And I believe that you are on the right hand of the throne of God. as God the Son. And I give my life to you. 
I ask you to forgive me and to from this day forward not be only my Savior, but also the one who is Lord over my life. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they have no hesitation in sharing it with one of the pastors. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.